Hey gang, welcome to episode 207 of the No Persinium Podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro Studio, aka the kitchen table here in Los Angeles. This week on the show, we're throwing it back to New York City uh, for one of uh, Catherine's, maybe her last New York City interview. Um, she's got Jordan Kapechka and Kendra Slack of Linked Dance Theater, uh, who are going to be here to talk about Remembrance, which is their 11th site-specific immersive dance theater piece, uh, which they're bringing to Governor's Island in New York City. And indeed, right now, it is doing a Kickstarter campaign, which wraps up on August 9th and uh, could use all of our help. Um, more on that in a bit. But first, let's take care of the basic business. You know, it's the end of the month, and I've finally figured out uh, what the proper rhythm... Well, I've been doing this for five years. Uh, finally figured out what the proper rhythm for our ask cycle should be when it comes to the Patreon and comes to spreading things around. Here's how Patreon works is you get charged once a month uh, at the top of the month the pledge that you made. So it makes sense that the time for us to really push the Patreon is at the end of the month because then everyone gets charged. So here's where we stand right now. Uh, we lost two backers this week and we gained one. Our latest backer is Thomas Shriver. Thank you so much, Thomas, for joining us. We now stand at 240 patrons, just 10 away from 250. What happens at 250? Uh, it just feels good. Uh, and 1434 which means we are $66 away from our next actual financial milestone, which is when we start putting 10% of the budget away for travel expenses for the team, which comes up. And given that there are some things that we really want to do outside of the regions that we live in, uh, that would be a great thing for us to have. And again, not just me uh, but the team as a whole has access to those funds. So we need to start getting more cash in. Uh, I don't want to belabor the point, but it comes down to this. You are only backers right now. Um, I am, I'm an eternal pessimist, so I'm, I'm not going to be like all, um, well, you know, corporate is look, we're doing weird stuff and we serve a lot of people. And if 10% of the people who are serviced by this, uh, threw in cash, we be pretty close to being independent. So just think about it. A dollar, five bucks, or if you've got it in you, uh, a higher level than $9 level is there for those who just really want to show their love and support. I don't expect that to occur um, because, you know, it's not like the economy is amazing, uh, but whatever you can would be fantastic. All right. Um, let us... Oh, patreon.com slash no proscenium. That's how you do it. I just, my brain just died for a second. Because uh, I don't I don't love doing that. I really don't. I, I'd rather just do the work. Um, and I don't feel like going on a whole, like, you know, advertising is dead, blah, blah, blah rant. Uh, just know that it helps out. Okay, moving forward. Um, it's... A, <laughs> 
was good. Just ranting about crowdfunding a second ago. Um, hey, one of the things we have now in Everything Immersive this week, which is the weekly wrap-up, is we've got a now funding section. So uh, if you are a generous person and you like to support the arts, that's a way you can do it. Just know that everyone's out there doing their best and uh, could use a dollar here or there. It goes a long way. Uh, indeed, like I mentioned before, our guests today, they've got a Kickstarter going on and they definitely need a hand right now. I think they got 68 bucks in the kitty at the moment uh, and it closes on the 9th. So let's get the word out there. And that's that's a big thing, like just spreading the word. Um, I swear to all there is, uh, it is getting harder and harder and harder to crack through the noise of social media. Um, Maybe I'll do like a little thing about social media on the back end of the show because um, uh, it's been on my mind a lot lately uh, for various reasons. But um, it it helps a lot when people signal boost. Uh, and one of the things we try and do as a platform here is create signal boosts. Another thing we try and do is we do our best to keep the news wires up to date. Uh, that includes keeping the now playing sections up to date. And uh, a thing that really helps with that is if you're a creator and you're trying to get your show information out, please, please, please uh, allow me to introduce you to the idea of an embargo date. Um, embargo dates are great because what you do is you contact us ahead of time, ahead of when you want the news to go out, and you say, hey, I've got some news for you that can only go out on this date. Do you agree to putting it out after this date? And then we go like, well, yeah, we would. We, we want the news, so we agree to the embargo. And they're like, great, here's what's up. And then we go, oh, wow, that's rad. Let's prepare some stuff to go out at that time um, so that we can be current. Uh, all too often, people put their tickets on sale and send us a press release at the same time and be like, oh, we just put tickets on sale. Aren't you excited? And it's like, I got 15 other things in the queue. So I'm happy for you, but you'll get, you'll be, you'll be dealt with in the order that, <laughs> or the DMV, man, uh, in the order that you showed up. So, uh, and then people sometimes are like, you're like, oh, hey, where's the announcement? It's like, in the order that you showed up. So use embargo dates, uh, contact your local bloggers ahead of time, let people know um, if they have a modicum of professionalism in them. And even some of the wackiest do, they will take advantage of the embargo date by preparing even more interesting materials, right? Because they wanna stand out amongst the crowd. This is PR 101. Um, and I'm very happy to share it with you right now because for the love of God, we need people to just know how the system works because otherwise, uh, you know, it's, it's just not fun having people blowing up the email being like, Hey, where's my thing going up? And it's like, you gotta get it out earlier. You gotta get it out earlier. Um, this is a, <laughs> I'm the only full-time person. And I freelance in order to pay the bills to keep this going on. So um, that means I have to sell my time to other people. Right? So please, embargo dates. Please. That was for the creators. For fans of this stuff, scream embargo dates <laughs> at the people who make the shows you like. All right? Um, it's just, it's, it's the way. And because, you know, you also know that when you just drop stuff onto social media, it just gets eaten up because they want you to pay for social boosts and yada, yada, yada. 
um, cause that's become the game. They got us all to go on those platforms and then here we are. Anyway, uh, said I was going to do the rant later. Looks like I nearly did the rant now. We'll do more on that on the back end. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll talk about something else. Um, all right. On that note. Uh, no, not on that note. On a better note. On a happier note. Uh, on the note On the note of cracking through uh, the noise. Let's settle in for a conversation with some folks who Catherine adores, Zay adores, uh, and whose work uh, I wish I could had a chance to see at some point and maybe one day I will get back to New York and see it. This is linked dance theater and they're coming here to talk about remembrance. Today on the show, I've got LinkedIn Theater, so this is... Jordan Kopechka. And I'm Kendra Slack, and we're the co-artistic directors of LinkedIn Theater. So for people who don't know your work, maybe aren't familiar with your company, what exactly do you guys do? A lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, well, we've been around since 2014 now. Started out in the site-specific dance realm, And now we are fully immersive, uh, text, movement, music, all combining to tell a story. Now sort of sound, we're getting into the sound installation world with this show, we're really starting to go all out. Uh, I think we've transitioned a lot over the the past, what, 10 shows we've done? Yeah. uh, In several uh, wonderful, like, New York locations, and sort of, I don't know, I feel like sometimes our, 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 company is a a sort of love song to New York in a lot of ways, the sort of way we've sort of traversed the landscape of uh, different sort of site-specific shows from uh, the Lilac uh, to Coney Island's like Freak Show Bar. Uh, Rockaway Brewing Company in Long Island City. And then the Center at West Park. Fort Tryon Park. So you've done parks, churches, Uh, the Lilac is a boat? The Lilac is a boat, a steamboat. Uh, and a bar, I've done a bar too. And a freak show. Uh, yeah, freak at show Sideshow. Yeah, Sideshow on Coney Island. And now a completely new landscape. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your next show, which is coming up at the end of the summer. It is. Uh, it's opening August 31st. And for this piece, um, we've had this amazing opportunity to present work on Governor's Island which is uh, it's a little island uh, just off of the mainland of Manhattan. Uh, you take a ferry to get there. Uh, and there are all these amazing historic houses out there that uh, over the past couple of years, Governor's Island has started to do more and more stuff out there. And they're really starting to bring in a lot of arts organizations to present work. Um, so we have been given a house, a whole historic house, and we are creating a piece called Remembrance, and it is the story of Margaret, and she is suffering from early-onset Alzheimer's. So, a lot a lot to unpack from what yeah. you just said here. So, not only have you been site-specific in and around New York, but you're also kind of coming to a really special place. Um, yeah, I think not a lot of people who visit New York get to go to Governor's Island. It's only open from the spring to the fall. It's a decommissioned military base, and people used to live on there. So when you say a house, 
You mean like an actual house that like a military officer used to live in? Exactly. Well, two families, technically. Yeah. Because oh, there's an upstairs and a downstairs uh, that sort of, like there were, you know, it's literally an exact floor plan, which is exciting for us. But, you know, to, to think about that space and be able to sort of, you know, have that much space to work with in New York is like so much fun. How did that uh, happen? How did you guys kind of get into this Governor's Island program? Well, they have an application process, um, which is pretty extensive, and they receive a lot of different applicants. Uh, it seems like they go a lot for people who are interested uh, in pushing the boundaries in um, like social change and environmental action. Uh, there's a lot of that kind of really cool stuff going on on the island right now, um, and we'll be taking over a house um, the people who are in there right now do uh, all these visual art things. So you can go into the house right now and walk around, and there's all these art installations in there. Um, and we'll be taking it over for the second half, August through November, um, and create uh, both a sound installation that people can walk around in for free, and then we're creating a, a ticketed immersive show as well. And it sounds like, I mean... At least from my experiences on Governor's Island, you see families, you see tourists, you see people who are just there to have a picnic, um, maybe like rent a bike, or just hang out for the day, or they are coming to see the art. So what kinds of folks are you expecting might kind of stumble upon you guys? We've been, we've been thinking about that, uh, especially when we're, we're sort of like trying to think about the sound installation part is that when it's sort of open to the public and not a ticketed event, what that's going to, to sort of be like. Um, and like how we were watching uh, this weekend, we actually went for a visit. We were watching families sort of weave in and out and we weren't sure if they should be going in this one room that was completely covered in art, but they were going in anyway. And then it made me a little nervous, but then, you know, it's, it's part of the sort of practice of making public art and making it sort of uh, accessible, but then also planning for those, those types of things and making sure that the special objects that are in the show, maybe, maybe we shouldn't have out, maybe we should make sure that they're sort of like, you know, safe for the show, but then, you know, you want to make, make it where it's also accessible in terms of age range too. That's something else we've talked about is making sure that the sound installation and the material in it is, you know, sort of at least accessible for someone like seven, eight, or nine, um, so they can listen and understand what the, the, the sort of like installation is about. Yeah, and I, I think a theme of our work has always been about the space. We're so space-oriented, and the spaces we've uh, gotten to build shows in have literally become characters in the piece, and I, I think this house is going to be no different. Um, all of our work is so centered around being made for the, the place we've been given, whether it's a boat or a bar or a church or, or a house now. Um, some some require, required a little bit more work than others. Yeah. <laughs> some, some were super special, like the Coney Island Freak Show Bar. They, you know, it sort of has its own life. And even the way that they like, take care and we're finding these princess crowns for their alligators and like adding little details. Yes, they have a stuffed alligator out there. Adding little, these little details. It's, you know, it's kind of a designer's dream to think about like a space that's already pre-designed and has its own weird funkiness to it. But this house is a big sort of step up for us in terms of design. And yeah. we are really sort of leaning into making sure it feels real and uh, lived in and, you know, very much like a home that someone with Alzheimer's would 
actually be occupying. Whereas your last show was about gods and goddesses, now yeah. you're centered upon you know, what feels like a real-life person, yeah. right? So her memories, her condition, what her life has been about. So could you talk a little bit about the genesis of this idea? Like, where did it come from? For sure. Um, well, Alzheimer's is very personal, I think, both to me and Jordan. Um, my grandfather suffered from dementia, and uh, this piece is semi-autobiographical and based upon Jordan's grandmother, who is uh, suffering from Alzheimer's right now. Um, she turned 80 last week. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's an accomplishment. Yeah, it is, right? Um, and I think the thing about Alzheimer's is it's crazy how many people are actually affected by this disease. We probably all know someone uh, or will know someone who is going to have it, and yet there still is no cure. Uh, it's... We, we, we still don't understand so much about it. Um, I think one of the main reasons is, is we're not talking about it. Yeah, it's, there's a stigma around yeah, it. Yeah, it, it's, we think it's just for people who are old. We think, you know, and, and I feel in, here in America, we, we don't really want to talk about old Aging, people. Aging, yeah. death, right. you know, those things right. there. Mortality. Yeah, and so if it's just something that affects old people, let's shove it over there and put it in a box, and we don't have to talk about it. We don't have to refer to it. But the thing is, it doesn't just affect people who are old, and now that the baby boomer generation is aging, there there's going to be an insane number of people who actually have Alzheimer's. Um, and so we just... We really, in this new phase that we're kind of entering, we call it sort of getting out of our adolescence. Um, the past 10 shows has really felt like our coming of age. Um, Beloved Departed, the show about gods and goddesses that you referred to earlier, uh, was really a huge step forward for us. And I think Remembrance, uh, this next show that we're creating, is also going to be another huge step forward. And we're really interested in sort of changing the conversation around immersive theater. Definitely. We, we love immersive theater. We love escapism. We love, like, that film noir aesthetic. Right. All the sleep fantastical noir. Fantastical fantas- yes. elements. Yeah, the Then She Fells. The, we, we are so inspired by them, um, obviously. But we're, we're now interested in in trying to create conversations in different ways and you know art has done that for a long time you think about the traditional theater and this you know the stage plays that are socially sort of having conversations but what is it when a you know an immersive you know an immersive show actually starts asking real questions about real life people and starts challenging those those sort of roles of what it means to, to sort of live with someone with Alzheimer's or interact with someone with Alzheimer's. Because immersive theater has so much greater ability than just proscenium theater to actually connect people. And I think that's why it's so special. And it's something that we've, we've sort of talked about is how, how much or little and how, how do we craft those those sort of experiences within the show to feel real and those connections with the characters to sort of feel real um, and authentic, which I think having sort of an autobiographical skew on it has really helped understanding the sort of interactions and then really doing our research to make sure that what we're presenting are 
um, pieces of reality, our, our real pieces of, of real stories and the anecdotes that we've heard from, from friends and, and from our performers even that are just beautiful and, and tragic and, and, and somehow so, so sort of inspiring for what we're creating. It's, it's been a fun journey to learn about all the things and then also deeply sort of saddening that there's so much that we don't share with, with, with each other and that's something that we want to sort of start asking people in the immersive world. It's like, what, what are the real stories we can tell? And the other thing is that Alzheimer's, it takes away the person's voice. They, they can't really communicate to us what their experience is like. That's why I think literature and movies have all tried to take on this idea of what is going on for someone in, inside the mind of someone suffering from Alzheimer's because really we have no other choice but to try and imagine it. Uh, and so I think we are... We are now also trying to imagine uh, what is happening inside the mind of Margaret, our woman. Um, and so this house, it's not only her home, but it becomes her mind. So are you treating it more like a memory palace? Something? It, yes, exactly. A memory palace is something we've definitely discussed yeah. extensively. Yeah, the idea is that each room in the house represents a different part of her mind and keeps different memories from her life and so when she travels to those rooms uh, and takes audience members with her they experience and she experiences different memories from her life yet the process of forgetting is already happening so you also witness the process of forgetting and you witness what happens to those memories as they decay and break down um, and we're playing with different ways of how do you show that? How do you show and explain? Right. Yeah. How do you communicate it in a way that, you know, and, and you guys have a ton of tools in your toolbox from the shows that I've seen of yours where you might use dialogue, mm -hmm. dance, either like scripted dance or contact improv. You also um, are insane because you use live music, not pre-recorded tracks. So well, let's, let's talk about, about some of that. Well, yeah. <laughs> So this is actually going to be a little bit different. We're actually not doing live music for this show. It is going to be a tracked sandbox with pre-recorded music. Um, we thought it functioned a lot better. Um, we also thought that uh, sort of having musicians in her mind and like explaining them was a, was a little bit harder uh, of a, a sort of leap. Right, like why she has a string quartet in yeah. all of her memories. Right. Whereas a wedding, that makes sense. sense. You know, for Orpheus and Eurydice, they have a string quartet playing at their wedding, and then somehow the, the musicians... You get followed down yeah. to the underworld yeah, the, by them. Exactly, yeah. It's a little bit less of a leap, you know. We, we actually, for that show, we talked about how they were literally sort of the, the soundtrack for the gods. The, the gods needed sort of constant entertainment, yeah. mm -hmm. right? They were, they were sort of there when the gods needed to... Yeah, yeah, I can to, see, you know, yeah. a god being like, you, violinist, follow yes. me around, because yes. I just, I need a violin. Right. But that's another thing that, as we grow as a company, we're always interested in these questions. And I feel like it's sometimes it's it's a common pitfall that young immersive companies fall into. They just say, "Oh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna make this story told through dance just because I like dance." But why? Why is it? Why are you using the medium of dance rather than text, or rather than? VR, or rather than AR, what is it about this story that compels the need for movement? Um, and certainly, when we were 
just starting out, we didn't think about that either. But I think it's become one of the key questions that we ask ourselves. Why text in this moment? Why movement? Why live music? Why recorded music? Why? What, what is going on? And, and what is being... What is being sort of received from an audience yeah. member when they're, they're sort of taking that in, right? You know, we talked about, especially with this show, it's like when you get a song stuck in your head, that music plays in your head and you can't get it out. So in a way, we're sort of adding these soundscapes, not just from songs, but from memory, and sort of adding those to layer in, in each of the rooms so the rooms feel full, not just of her memories of, you know, interactions with, you know, maybe her son or her, her husband, but of you know, of her life, like the sound interactions and the play that you have in like the kitchen or the dining room or maybe a park, you know, on a first date, those types of things. So it, it makes sense for, for that world where you couldn't really have a string quartet or, you know, a live band sort of create those sounds live and, and, and be really great at it. So it sort of functions not only as a, a way to sort of explain part of our character, but to the landscape that we've built. And I, I think that uh, I, I hope that everyone gets the sort of dance element and what we're doing and telling with dance. Yeah, we've, we've really thought about it a lot this time and tried to make it as, as specific as we could. We're, we're trying to use movement as a way to show the process of forgetting. Uh, that whenever movement comes in, it means the memory is decaying. It means the memory has been corrupted. It means it's breaking down. The dance actually represents the thing in the memory that is off. Um, and so we've, we've tried to create this binary of, of using text to show the things that are remembered and the things she's trying to hold on to, and the dance is the things that are, are slipping away. Um, and so often those are linked to uh, these emotional things that may not be so black and white. They're a little bit ambiguous, so she, she can't quite remember what version of this actually happened. And another thing in Alzheimer's, especially as people progress, they start, they start wondering if their memories are actually theirs. They, 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 they don't have a concept of, are these my memories? Am I making this up? Um, they often suffer from not only hallucinations, but delusions. Um, their auditory sense uh, gets sort of skewed, so does their visual sense. Um, their language starts going away. So all these different things we're exploring in, in, in different ways using the movement and the text and how, and how the movement and text interacts. Are they happening simultaneously? Is it text the movement? And then movement in the text. Like, how many different ways can you do that? It's it's such a rich playground, you know. And I think it's it's where we love to live in this intersection of mediums of text and movement and music and and what is best in this moment. What what conveys this piece of the story the best? And magic. And magic. Oh God. <laughs> All right. So now you're adding like tricks. Yeah. Illusions so, and sleight of hand. Yeah, we, we've delved very slightly into illusion before. Um, I think in our show Freaks Don't Cry, which was the Coney Island show, um, I think one show before you came in, it was right before Like Real People Do, um, we did incorporate some basic illusion stuff. Um, a great friend of ours named Steve Moore designed the illusions for that show. And now we're working with a magician named Trig Watson, 
who Jordan knows. Um, fantastic guy who's actually working with Netflix right now. Awesome. I don't know if we can say that. I think we can say that. I hope we oh, can say okay. that. All right. All right. Sorry, well, Jordan. Sorry. Well, anyway, um, so lots of tools in your toolbox. So what's been like the biggest challenge thus far? Because it also seems to me that while Governor Island, Governor's Island is this beautiful place, and it has a lot of personality, it also seems really challenging just to mount a show there because you have there's a lot of restrictions around the house, and you have to bring everything on the boat with you from Manhattan or Brooklyn. <laughs> Jordan's smiling. Yeah. Yes, uh, <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> it's it's been a constant, ongoing conversation of how we're how we're going to get everything out there and how we're going to build the show without being able to sort of mount anything to the ceiling or to the floor or... So nothing permanent, no, like you can't affix things? You can affix things to the walls, but you can't affix things to the ceiling or to the, like, the floor because okay. those are part of the historic Yeah, those are historic. Oh, wow. As are the sort of moldings. It's a sort of weird building code uh, that, that they sort of have to restrict in order to keep them historic landmarks. But we have a, a very lovely creative set designer who's been sort of working with us to sort of tackle some of these issues and, and how to bring in what we want to bring in and sort of create these interesting landscapes. But it is also relying on some of the, the things that make New York great, like materials for the arts and just sort of keeping our eyes out and doing making several visits. Craigslist. To the Craigslist was <laughs> today's sort of venture. Uh, but we're we're also sort of you know sort of stockpiling. I mean, we've got tons of flowers and things like that that are going to come into play. And then um, Michaela came through with some wonderful uh, some uh, astroturf astroturf uh, for for us. She uh, she was like, yeah, come get it. We were like, really? She's like, yeah, come get it. There's there's plenty. Right. I don't I don't want this astroturf anymore. Please take it away. Yes. <laughs> yes. So. But even with these restrictions, I mean, we've always had to deal with weird space things in the past. So with these restrictions, I, that's that's the one kind of handoff. But on the other hand, like in the church we were uh, in for Beloved Departed, we had to share that space. Like people kept coming into that space and out of that space. During moved our moved our props. Yeah. Moved, moved our set pieces without Wait, us. They were asking. having like uh, ac active services. Active yeah, services. active services. Um, other arts groups. The uh, flamenco uh, company has that space down there. So th that was a different challenge. Just trying to share your space, especially in an immersive show where the space and the control of the space is so important. That was a huge learning curve and having to deal with that. And so we don't have that issue this time. We actually have control of the house once we're in, we're in, it's ours, no one else gets to be in there. So with the challenges of dealing with the historicness of the house, we, we have this wonderful trade-off of the space being ours. And so I think we're... We're excited. Way, yeah, we're very excited. But also sort of thinking of sort of creative ways to, to change the house to make it seem not necessarily otherworldly, but like outside of Governor's Island and sort of planning for those um, those elements that we want to make, either make it feel secluded or dreamlike and, and trying to, to tackle those issues as we're sort of like doing this build and designing the spaces. And I mean, this is our probably our biggest venture into designing a space like oh, we've, yeah. we've come into spaces and and I think Beloved Departed was a big step up for us in terms of design and lighting and, and sort of really trying to amp up those elements but for this show 
there's no lighting. It's mostly going to be done through design. And I think that's exciting, but it's also sort of challenging to sort of say, okay, cool. If we want an, you know, an, like an ambiance in this room that's like a little bit different, you know, we're really going to have to like work to like make sure the windows are blacked out and like really create the space. Because well, it's also, it's a daytime show. Uh, all our shows are happening during the day on the weekends sort of during the high traffic times of Governor's Island. So that's another thing. You don't see a lot of immersive shows taking place during the daytime. Um, There's a lot of things about this show which I think are really special and unique uh, and just things that you don't see often or or haven't seen very often in immersive theater yet. And I think that's what excites us about this. We, We love pushing our own boundaries i think with each show we try and do one more thing than we did last year or several new things or several new things we we keep trying to like push it forward um i I think it's partially because we're we're never really satisfied we're trying to think of like how can we improve how can we change how can we be on the sort of edge of what's next of trying to predict how how to make not only ourselves better but make immersive theater better and you know, challenge the social context and challenge like how we interact with sound and and really think and, and pull from you know some of the the bigger more established com- com- uh, companies like Meow Wolf, right? Like their interactive sound design is amazing, and so we like made sure that we had some interactive sound to, to like go along with this show. Like there's there are pieces that we've like at least in the New York world we really think that we can push and like make more interesting, um, not only for ourselves but you know for the immersive world. That's what's so cool about immersive theater right now is it's sort of a a wild west. We're all still figuring out together what is possible. And I think there are so many things that are possible with this genre. And we're we're so excited to be a part (laughs) of it right now because this is the time for us all to kind of figure it out together and to learn, like, what are we going to be when we grow up? If, Who knows? if we grow up, however hopefully, we grow up. Hopefully, we, we will do our darndest to, to, <laughs> to make sure that immersive theater grows up to be... Well, maybe it grows up at least a little bit. Yeah. We don't want to get too old. Always a little rebellious, mm-hmm. regardless. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one thing I will say that I think is unusual, I think especially as newer, younger companies are just trying to, like, churn out as much work as possible. You guys have been letting this particular piece gestate for at least a year. Maybe longer? Uh, about about a year. I mean, I've, I've technically written a show about Alzheimer's once or twice, I've, or at least started to write an outline for a show. Um, one version took place inside an apartment and you were going to be a task rabbit for the woman and you were going to like slowly discover that she had Alzheimer's as you repeated tasks. Um, free idea. But, <laughs> uh, but uh, essentially, it's something I've been thinking on um, after a couple of very interesting experiences with my grandmother. Um, painting uh, is, is something that my, my grandmother does, and those sort of interactions uh, have sort of inspired some of the scenes in the shows. But those those moments have really made me think about our sort of our sort of kindness and our human condition, and then how how it affects you and how it affects them, and then how it doesn't affect them, and it you know sort of hits you back. And really trying to figure out how to craft a show around that um, was sort of the sort of key key point. But I I, I don't know. It's, it's it's rich material, and I think it's important to talk about right now. So 
but also while doing your due diligence research, oh, interviewing course, friends, family members, and yeah. podcasts, books, <laughs> yeah, there, scientific journals. There's so many amazing resources out there, actually, if, if you're looking. Amazing books, um, podcasts, uh, and, and we have taken a lot of leaps forward in the Alzheimer's research. We, we have a better understanding than we did 10 years ago in the 90s, but it's it's still so fascinating. That was 20 years ago. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's why I'm in theater, guys. Um, um, but yeah, it is. It, it, it it's it's encouraging, but it's still so frustrating. Right. So really misunderstood. Yeah, and and I think a lot of people feel like there's just nothing that you can do, and and that similarly to how it was thought about AIDS or or cancer just a little bit. Of, a little bit ago where when you would be diagnosed it was essentially a death sentence that's how people thought of it and I think that's still how people think of Alzheimer's it's people think of it as a death sentence because it is incurable um, and it's just I, I don't know it, it's it's part of it's part of the human condition yeah. right it's part of aging like at some point you personally will face it yeah. either in yourself or in someone you care about mm-hmm. like it's, it is going to happen well, and and the thing about alzheimer's too is that it's truly a family disease it doesn't just affect the person who has it 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 is so um it, it kind of permeates the whole family and it, really no one wins with alzheimer's and caretakers of alzheimer's patients there's been a lot of research about how the disease affects them as well and the stress on caretakers is very very high um and so all these things all all these elements of of the disease we're trying to i mean there's there's only so much you can put in the show but it's it's such a vast well of information and um and stuff to mine to to create just one woman's experience because the other thing is that this disease affects no one person the same way Mm -hmm. and that's also why it's so hard to talk about is because for every person it's different and so for Margaret our woman how does it affect her Uh, how how does it affect her speech how does it affect um, what has gone in her short-term memory first? What, what memories still remain? Uh, what has held on in her long-term memory the longest? And what, what, are the things, um, what are the things that truly define her and get at the core of her being? And so it, it's not just about the, the disease and the fact that she's suffering from Alzheimer's, but it's also about her life. And how do you define a person's life? And are we just the sum of our experiences? And if that's the case, if, if we are just our experiences, if we're just what we can remember, what happens when you can't remember it anymore? Who are you? Yeah, that's are a you, really powerful question. <laughs> are you still the same person? Well, they, they say that about Alzheimer's. They say that it's you a, take it's two... It's a transformative two, disease. Oh, well, no, I was saying that there, you, there are two deaths. There's this yeah. sort of the, the death when, like, no memories are sort of remembered, or there's, like, the loss of, of the, the individual, and you don't feel like you can connect with them in the same way. And then there's this sort of, like, actual physical mm-hmm. death. And I think that's something that's 
sort of interesting to think about and you know how not only like Margaret deals with that but how the people around her are dealing yeah, with her that. Her son Tyler, her caregiver Francis um, and then we have sort of all these other we have all these other people from her past who, who kind of surface as well uh, and they are sometimes played by performers but they're also sometimes played by audience members and, and that's the other thing about this show um, the premise of it is you are being invited to Margaret's house to celebrate her 65th birthday with her. So you are being cast as her f- close friends and her close family. Um, and then as the show goes on, y- you start to kind of realize that you, are, you can almost be anyone to her. Uh, that in her mind you start to pop up and serve whatever function that she needs you to serve in that moment just by the fact that that is how her brain now works. These pathways are all tangled and one may be blocked so she has to jump over here and that sends her to this room with this memory and then you become, oh yes, now I know who you are, you are this person and then in another moment you are forgotten and, and, and how... How does that affect not, not only Margaret, but the audience members who are witnessing it and experiencing, and experiencing it. it? So you said this is um, more of a sandbox open exploration show. This is technically our first sandbox. sandbox. Yes, we have all we've been all about the dark ride up until this point. We we dabbled. Uh, Beloved Departed had a little tiny sandbox yeah, there, there was one scene where you could yes. kind of do whatever but you were stuck in the same room yes, yes. exactly and then a we, controlled sandbox yes yeah. controlled sandbox and then we sent you out on your different tracks um yeah we are very interested to see how it goes um i'm a little nervous <laughs> a little nervous uh sandboxes are so tricky they're really tricky and they do really require fantastic design Uh, The design has to be so specific. It has to be so built out and so detailed because your audience members can do whatever they want. Um, You you don't get to control so much their perspective on things. And I think up until now, we have been so into controlling the way people see and experience our shows. Which sort of has presented a different task of telling a narrative. And how do you tell yeah. a narrative in a way with a sandbox, right? There, there are a lot of narratives that we feel have been lost in certain sandbox environments. And, you know, you sort of can get caught up and, you know, lose track of the actual sort of story. But I guess, at least with this being a memory play, you can get, uh, you know, a certain set of memories that explain a sort of certain, um, I guess, part of her, right? So you get to get, you get to experience part of her and those stories that can, you know, sort of surround either one or two characters or maybe three or four, depending on, like, how adventurous you are, how how you either stick with one scene or, you know, go to another. Yeah, and I, we, we've, been, we've been all about the narrative, I think, since we started. We're very into story. That's, that's what we wanted to do from the beginning, is tell stories through dance. Um, and... I think this time we're think we're still very interested in story and the story of Margaret and her life, but what is a different way to tell that story? And and can you still get a full story with just 
you get little bite-sized pieces, little snapshots, little windows into moments of her life. They may be distorted, they may not be realistic whatsoever, but can, can you, from that, no matter where you go, can you still get the sense of who this woman is? But, and I think that's what we're trying to do. But also, it's, what I think is so beautiful about that is that it's kind of the is I'm hoping I'm using affect correctly here. <laughs> it's the affect of Alzheimer's, right? Like yeah. what you get, right? Like you're not going to get the whole person ever. It's necessarily incomplete just yeah. because of her. Correct. So yeah, I think the stuff I've seen from you guys has usually been pretty linear mm-hmm. and contiguous. So now you're doing stuff that is maybe you're jumping around in time and space and it's not always the same people. And then I think you mentioned potentially like almost like conscripting audience members. So could you talk a little bit about the audience members role, not just in this show, but like what you've come to learn about casting the audience. It seems like you've been on a big journey about that. Oh, Ken Ken was making the face. (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, casting the audience. Oh, casting the audience. I mean, I think that is one of the foundation, like the foundational tenets of immersive theaters. You have to cast the audience. They've got to know why they're there. Um, And I think a lot of a show's success or failure hinges on how well someone does that and it doesn't have to be super complicated either I think we've seen some of the most simplest things can work the best but you have to be specific um, so wait so do you think a fly on the wall or like a ghost or a voyeur <laughs> is specific enough Well, for, for this moment in time versus let's say five to ten years ago I don't think so. And that's that's the one thing. Sleep No More was so groundbreaking at the time. And, and I was a cast member with them, and I learned so much from them. But honestly, now I think Sleep No More, and I don't think it would be a really big fix, but if they made their onboarding just slightly more specific and slightly more hotel-oriented and told just a little bit more of who you are and said a little bit more explicitly of you being a ghost and and what happened to make you a ghost and the idea that these uh, other performers are ghosts who are stuck in their last moment, their last night on earth. I think that would offer so much more richness to the the show. And Um, also offer maybe something that the audience can grab onto and it might even change the way that they interact with the world. And yet how it is now your, your expectations can be, like, anywhere, right? Yeah, right. It, it's not super specific. And, and I, it, again, I think it would be a tiny little fix. It's not too hard because the whole world is so beautiful and so detailed, it would not be hard to kind of add in that specificity into the onboarding. Um, I actually just went and saw Then She Fell for the second time very recently. Uh, and, again, that's another thing. They do it much better than Sleep No More. They're more specific. Um, I mean, it's still a little ambiguous. It has to be so attentive. Yeah, Yeah. but it was more specific than I remembered it being. From my first time, I was like, eh, you know, they could also kind of tweak it just a little bit, and it would be so much clearer (laughs) of who I am. But they do, in in subtle ways, they do make it clear who you are. It's just not super overt. And, I mean, it's interesting. It's like how... 
it's a fine line that we walk too. We don't want to spoon feed our audience. We're not interested in that. We don't want to whack them over the head with what the meaning of the show is or what we're trying to convey. But it's also, um, there was this amazing review uh, of a piece um, that uh, Trusty Sidekick, they're an Australian company who do mainly children's theater work. Um, they created a show specifically for autistic children and it was set in like these little hot air balloons and each child... Oh yeah, that was at, um, that was at Lincoln Center. Yeah, yes. it was. Yes. I can't remember the name of it. I, I think they're actually based out of here. They are. Really? Yeah. They're but there were Australian companies who also work with autistic children who came. There was a big theater festival at uh, Lincoln Center a year or two ago and they invited all of these companies and a lot of it was experiential sensory friendly like all about like yeah. touching and feeling and interacting but yeah I remember the, the hot air balloon show yeah um, and they just they had this amazing um, credo of, of a, a lot of what um, can help autistic children in the show is is telling them what happens before it actually happens oh yeah um, I uh, think Bricolage and a couple mm. other theater companies have like a guide yeah so you can give your child like the high level points ahead of time and then they know what to expect narratively so then they're not like overwhelmed when it's actually happening yeah exactly and they, they talked about you don't necessarily have to do that especially if you're creating something for the general public but this idea of giving your audience the tools that they need to go on the journey with you so you don't you don't want to hit them over the head but you also don't want to leave them behind and it's this really fine line of have i given them the map so at least they can find their way or have i left them out in the cold or have i uh drawn the whole route on the map for them so they're now they're just bored right they're just following your instructions yeah it's a complicated line though because you want to give your your audience autonomy and it's something that we constantly are back and forth about of making sure that they feel taken care of but they don't feel sort of spoon-fed or sort of you know forced you know into a route but they they feel like they have choice or at least the illusion yeah. of choice and that's another thing is it choice or is it the illusion of, of choice? choice and and sometimes they're one and the same sometimes it's just as satisfying to feel yeah. like you could have done something but nothing actually changed exactly right. and so these are all sort of over the past three years um, we've grown to take these questions more and more seriously and I think this show we're we're trying to answer them all as well as we possibly can and and so in the idea of remembrance uh, you come to the house under the impression that you are a member of her family or you are a close friend uh, and that is kind of how you start the show uh, and because of the situation that she's in she doesn't necessarily have to always remember who you are. And if she gets it wrong... Right. Uh, it, it fits into the narrative. There, exactly. There, there's a You're like, oh, I used to work with you, or did I? Yeah, there's right. a mechanism for if audience members play along, she can go with it. But if they feel uncomfortable and they don't want to and, and they tell her she's wrong, there's also a mechanism by which that is also correct. So she can never be wrong in this world and in her interactions with the audience members. And more importantly, they can never be wrong. The audience can never be wrong in their interaction either. They can choose to play along uh, if she calls them Bruce and asks about their kids. Or they can say, no, I'm not Bruce. And she can say, oh, 
I'm, I'm so right, sorry. So sorry, and then yeah. the show can keep going. Exactly. Right. It sort of is a, a beautiful conceit, not only for an immersive actor, but for a show and you know, for an audience that they can sort of play along. And obviously, we have sort of like ways in which she has to sort of continue the show because we couldn't just sort of allow things to you know sort keep of unfolding, or, uh, right. tearing down like a dead right. end or something. Right. Um, that's a different show unto <laughs> itself. Uh, but I think that there is a, a nice mechanism for the audience to feel like they have a personal um, sort of like relationship with Margaret. And as the show goes on and we sort of go deeper into her mind and we unlock new parts of her memory uh, and open new pathways, the audience the audience's role sort of morphs and just like memory morphs um, and and how it actually happens for people with Alzheimer's. It's this idea of faces kind of bubble up to the surface and they don't know where they're coming from, but they're there. And, and sometimes they see the faces of other people on on a different person's so it's body. it's like superimposed, it starts to get kind of blurry who's actually who. Exactly, exactly. yeah. And so the audience member can essentially become anyone. Or they, anything. Or anything. Um, they can become her husband or son even for a moment, or, or they can become part of the scenery in, in her memory and, and help her with trying to remember exactly how things were arranged or as she starts to forget language they can help her try and come up with the words that she's trying to find to explain it's 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 a rich playground for for an audience and and for us at least because it's been fun to to think about oh how can we add an interaction moment here or what can they help her search for or you know where are they where are they together i mean obviously you know, living room can look like a living room, but it can also, you know, be, be something totally different if it needs to be, right? And that's so exciting is that it's it's not limited, it's not only limited, it's not limited by this, the structure itself or the audience. It's, it's only limited by what she feels is right and whatever that is in that moment is right. And one thing that, you know, usually strikes me is, you know, you can make that emotional connection with just what, like a, a prop hold this for me, will you write this down? Um, I've done that in tons of shows. Literally hold something for one character, bring something from one character to another, or just like put something on. You're like, all right, I'm wearing a random apron or shirt or whatever, but now you're in the world. And even sometimes at the end, I look down, I'm like, oh, right, why am I still holding this? (laughs) (laughs) Why do I still have this pineapple? (laughs) Who gave this to me? Did I complete my mission? I don't remember. Um, so, Jordan, I wanted to bring something up that you wrote about for us on the site a long time ago. I'm wondering if it still holds true. You kind of were using the rules of engagement spiel and onboarding, offboarding the audience through the metaphor of dining at a restaurant. So do you still feel the same way? I think that it's one metaphor that works. Um, I think that there is definitely um, an onboarding to or expectations of a restaurant, right? Like I feel like there are lots of things, right? When you go to a certain, when you go to a circus or when you go to you know a certain event, like there are certain rules of engagement that are sort of laid out that you at least culturally we like as a sort of like 
collective can understand right. of like you wait for your table you go and sit down you get a menu like there are certain like there's like rituals there's a framework right. for you to kind of fill out exactly and I think that that sort of like ritual um, is is sort of what you have to build for a show and it's sort of what, what you have to sort of do for an audience to to sort of let them like know like the the world that you're building I mean and the more common name I guess is magic circle right and making sure that they feel like they they've been satisfied by the meal right and that they've like gotten enough you know to, to sort of like you know really by like sink their teeth into but then they also feel like they've been taken care of and that like when they leave it's like they they're like satisfied with their you know their experience um I mean, I, I think there are lots of events, lots of ritual sort of like events that you can use as a metaphor. I think at the time, I don't know why it might, it might have like been like what was top of mind. I might have had a really great dining experience with with a friend, and it was like, oh, this actually feels like I'm like you know I feel like I'm I'm waiting in a waiting area, and then I'm like you know I'm now at my table, and there's this an insane experience that's going on the food that's down on the table is like how it's presented which side it's presented on and like can really be like you know almost like immersive theater um which is something that we really what we've talked about doing is a dining show um because this is like third rail's doing a dining show too but to the to the um the metaphor of, of eating yeah i think it i think it still kind of holds up i mean are there other metaphors i would use definitely yeah, but i think that's also why the shows that that use um, things that we all know as sort of roadmaps for you, like being invited to a wedding or right. being going invited, to a funeral. Going to a funeral. These are things we all have an idea of what is supposed to happen, and being able to latch on to those expectations, I think, really helps you in creating your magic circle, and then also helping to to close the magic mm-hmm. circle and to expel people from the magic circle because. Drawing the magic circle is very important, but also how you get people out of the magic circle is also super important. Because they, they need to decompress. They need to know. I mean, they need to have... I, I would say it's the coffee moment, right? Like when you mm-hmm. get coffee after dinner. Yeah. You're like, so, okay, it's over, but you have a moment. Or a digestive, yeah. We're going right? to like exactly. slowly kind of take the energy back down. The denouement, if you will. <laughs> I mean, the yeah, accent. Yeah. I mean, I really liked the way that you guys set up Beloved Departed because it's like, all right... You've been invited to a wedding, and then you get there, and the usher goes, "Bride's side or groom's side?" And you're like, "Oh, it is like a wedding." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're in a freaking church, and I was with a friend, I remember, and she was like one side, and I was the other, and we got split up immediately, and we were in different pews. <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, cool." And there's flowers everywhere, and it, you're right, like all those social cues, or you're like, "Oh, I've done this before, yeah. so I know how to do this." But I know that this one is going to be slightly different. And I remember one of the ways that you expressed like the rules of engagement really struck me. Uh, something along the lines of, humans may not touch the gods for their own safety. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, you like the physical contact thing, like consent, just being able to make it both have that impact and be serious, but also fit thematically inside the world yes and then um the the mortal coils maybe you guys can explain that for the people who didn't see the show yeah we we were struggling with ways of okay how are we going to mark the audience so our performers know who is on team eurydice who's on the bride's side <laughs> who's, who's on the groom who's, who's on team orpheus who's on the groom side and we needed a very obvious way 
just practically for the performers to tell them apart, for us to logistically move people around the space. And so it worked narratively to think that there would be mortals coming, there would be mortals invited, that they would be marched so the gods would know that that like this is a safe space for the mortals, like it's, you know... Like, right, this is a human, be careful what you yeah. do or say. Or exactly, that the gods could actually see this mortal mortal coil on them, that like sort of like by attending this wedding, it sort of showed up. Yeah, and so it, it started out as a very practical problem that we needed to solve, but ultimately it became a huge part of the narrative because everyone ultimately has to de descend to the underworld in, in the narrative of Orpheus and Eurydice. And, and normally you pay Charon, you pay the boatmen a fare. Uh, and so... We changed well, the fare. Yeah, we, right. we, we, we we're so, like, well, so we we're all not... had, I think, green cords around our necks or gold, or gold cords. Yes. And we wore those for maybe the first two-thirds of the show yes. until it was time to go into hell. Yes. Yeah, and so we used those cords not only to mark the humanness, but also they became the, the your toll, what you had to pay Charon, the boatman, to get you across the river Styx into the underworld. Because so, truthfully, at that point, like, there was, like, sort of no... Like, we had sort of completed the track, right? right? Like, you only had, like one more place to go before the sort of like the big finale happened exactly yeah. Yeah. and it was also it ended up being interesting this idea of people being separated and marked and then coming back ultimately the show making a full circle coming back to the space that you started the show in but you're no longer marked everyone is all together mixed up and technically it's the the, the main area was on its head because it was part of the underworld yeah it was kind of the upside down version of the space that you first started in so I, I, it's always interesting, this idea. We always talk about, it feels like we are trying to fly a plane while we are in the middle of constructing it. <laughs> yeah, or uh, two people making railroads and hoping, exactly. hoping that like, they, they connect in the yeah. middle. Yes, yes. We, we often don't start with a complete script. We're writing the script as we're rehearsing the show, as we're building the movement, as the music is being created. So it's all kind of happening simultaneously. and. And that's another beautiful thing that I love about this work, and, and I think our company is a truly devising company. We devise not only between us and our collaborators, but with the actors. It, all, it becomes so much a part of all of us. Um, but we we try to we try to take everything into consideration as we build because we we find there's a, a sort of I mean again this like idea of a playground there's this like rich playground because an actor might have a really great idea for what could happen in a scene or like you know a, a more skilled dancer might be like oh what if we move like this it might fix this problem or you know like oh if i just scoot six inches this way maybe i can prevent this audience from following like following this character that way and that's you know that's those have all been sort right. of the devil that, is literally in the details yes of this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you can you, you always start with sort of a general idea and a general roadmap and then as you go along you just start trying to solve problems. And so the practical problem of how are we going to tell these audience members apart ultimately became woven into the narrative just because we were we were trying to stay open about how can we use these things in new and creative ways. I'd say that we're we're one of our best skills is 
creative problem solving, solving. <laughs> and and really thinking about not only how like something folds into a story but like its function and then how it can sort of come back in different ways and sort of be an element and you know how how it is expressed and then how it is shown to an audience can can change someone's experience right like you felt that weight of the cord when you had to give it up right your mortal coils and it was just a piece of rope right but it, it was impressed upon you and that that is i think why it's so interesting that you know immersive theater as as it you know lives and breathes and changes is something that we should start using to create social conversations and like it can have that weight right in this like you know wedding of orpheus and eurydice like you felt that weight and then you felt that human like that that sheer humanness as you were experiencing the show but like what is it like then to like actually like face real issues and do we want to do that in immersive theater? I mean, I, I would hope so. I hope that we start traversing these landscapes a little bit more. Because um, there's so much potential there. Definitely. There's yeah. so many stories to be told. And, and I think the what immersive theater can achieve is so much greater, I think, than the, the things that have come before it. It's just, it's unique in its ability to really transform transform i think and, and to connect us i think it's something we're craving right now that idea of connection intimacy immersive theater that's why i think it's so popular by people who experience it because they've never experienced anything like it and because they feel like they're lacking that in their everyday life i'd go even further and say that that's why the word immersive is so popular right yeah. now because there's so many people who are using it and even in certain certain work meetings i hear it i just cringe a little bit it's like are you really like do you know like what like how i mean i'm like yes you can use that word that's fine yes like you know your cell phone can be an immersive experience you know if you like maybe put on vr you know turn it into vr right. goggles but, but it's not the same as mckellen sponsoring behind the city it's not right. the same yeah. as building an actual west world it's not the same exactly. as making like a giant church full of game of thrones stuff yeah. and having actual like soldiers and whatnot clashing swords in front of you exactly yeah, why do you think there are super fans of, of this stuff like sleep no more i think you only get people who care that much about something when it touches a chord somewhere deep inside of people and immersive theater has plenty of super fans people have seen sleep no more 50 times people who go back to and go back to then she fell because they found something in these experiences that they couldn't find anywhere else and they want to keep going back to find it again so on that note um yeah who do, who is inspiring you right now like what what's like touching you in that part of your soul um, <laughs> i mean there's some things that we've i've we've missed or that i've like heard inklings of that that maybe you have like fomo about well yes yes and no i mean you uh uh you talked to prism wasn't it prison and prism no, not Prism. I'm confusing company names. Prism is in Dallas. Um, pseudonym. Pseudonym Productions. Uh, uh, yeah. Ricky and Sarah. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was such a great talk. Hearing them also talk about the business aspect. Which, which side note. Hi, Sarah. My friend Raven told me that we should meet. I'm just going to say that. 
Uh, she she uh, worked with we worked with Sarah in Orlando and said Sarah you know like we the, the entire story but you know when you sort of hearing their story and like you know what they're doing and I saw them you know talking to like different people and you know, having access to a yacht like there are so many interesting companies I think there's a, a playground to to be had. Well, and, and we're so I mean we obviously love No Pro and and rabidly follow you guys I think. Uh, we're also just sad that um, we've never gotten to go out to LA and see see any of the stuff out there. Speakeasy, they're remounting the Johnny cycle, which is really really oh, cool. Definitely. And wish I could be. And the Nest is getting remounted, and all this stuff that we've heard so much about. But it, it's so funny the the LA scene and the New York scene. We're we're so we're so different, yeah. and, and just this idea of hearing so much about the other one, but never actually getting to experience it in person. For sure. You for gotta sure. come out for spooky season, right? Everything's, everything's in the fall in LA. Yeah. That's true, but we're mounting this in the fall, so uh, they want to come. Maybe as, as soon as you close Remembrance, because like, Governor's Island, it does get too cold to be out there at some point. Yeah, yes. we, we um, will, our last weekend is October 26th and 27th is our closing weekend. Oh, wow. So we've got a solid, I know, it's also our longest run that we've ever had to date. It is. So, it is. wait, so when do you open? August 31st. August 31st. Um, and it goes almost to Halloween. Yeah. Um, it'll only be, the shows will only be on weekends, Saturday and Sunday. One show Saturday, two shows Sunday. Um, in the afternoon. In the afternoon. Which would surprise you, but I often get emails and like DMs like, hey, is there anything I can do during the day? Because I'm here in New York for a weekend yeah. and I've already booked my two evenings. Yes. Yeah. And so they could come see your show during the day and yes. see a different yes. show at night. Definitely. Yes, we are the we are the sort of matinee um, awesome. of immersive theater <laughs> coming coming yeah. this August. Also, I think that there's uh, um, I mean, I guess there are a couple of other things that you can do on Governor's Island that are considered immersive or immersive-ish for sure. Yeah, I th- for some reason they put you guys. And Exquisite Corpse. Yeah. We're, and, and Dysfunctional Collective all at the same time. And all in the same housing row. row. And I was like, yeah. couldn't you all like spread it out? Yeah, we actually share, we're technically in the same house as Exquisite Corpse Company. Oh, wow. It's a dual, amazing. It's a dual family home. We mm-hmm. each have our different, our own space. Um, but it's kind of like a mirror image of the same home on we the opposite side. We went in and it was so trippy because yeah. <laughs> we've been designing for this one side of this house and we started walking around the other and it, it, it literally felt a mirror. wrong. It felt yeah. wrong. But we're, yeah, we're excited to sort of be out there in good company for sure. Um, but yeah, maybe we'll get out to LA for the first spooky season. I know that the haunts out there are really like something else. Yeah, one of our uh, company members, uh, Nicky Romanello, he's been out uh, in L.A. Um, he was a cast member with Creep uh, last spooky season. Yes. So, and be- but right before that, he was in Like Real People Do. Yes, yes he that was. was that so was he was his... a male lead yeah. and then moved to L.A. Yes. and yeah. got into Creep. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so we've been sort of living vicariously through him when it comes to the L.A. scene. Yes, he's sort of been our, our, our man on the ground in L.A. <laughs> yeah. Telling us about what's going on out there. So, um, I kind of have, like, a fun little lightning round since Ooh. we've been talking for about, like, an hour or so. And oh, wow. We've talked about, you know, the, a lot of the more design-oriented topics around the content of the show itself and being site-specific and onboarding, offboarding, magic circle, casting the audience. So here's where I make you choose your favorite child. Oh, 
Oh. So pick one. Narrative or world building? God. <laughs> can, can she pick one and I pick the other? Or do we have to agree on what we pick? That's... You, you, you guys can diverge. God, but I feel like they're both, they're part of the same. World building. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would probably pick narrative. And I think that's actually why we're good partners. Definitely. Because I feel like the, wor- the world building actually affects the narrative. But then I also feel like... Narrative affects the world building. Exactly. Or like, what kind of narrative would you have without it, the world that it exists in? Exactly. And then, you know, as we said earlier, the characters are like, you know, our spaces are our characters in our shows. Like, they are part of the narrative. They tell part of the story. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so next one. Audience agency versus narrative. Which is something I think a lot of productions yeah. struggle with. Going back to our earlier conversation around a choice, the oh, illusion yeah. of choice. I would say narrative because people can be parts of stories. Yeah. And I think it's just about, I would also say narrative, but I think it's about cons- always considering your audience from the very beginning. So not just creating a narrative and thinking of the audience as an afterthought. Um, we're not a hugely interactive company. We've, we've kind of taken little baby steps into interaction and, and we're continuing to do that. But um, we, we really do want them to feel like a, they're a part of the story, whether they are... Voyeurs. Or... Yeah, whether they're voyeurs or whether they're truly interacting or not. It's, I think it's about considering the audience from the get-go in your story. And then you can kind of have your cake and eat it too. Right. Okay, super hard one. Music or dance? Dance. dance. <laughs> I mean, obviously you guys are... Okay, yeah. text dance. or dance? Dance. <laughs> dance. But you, you hesitated a little, Jordan. Yeah, well... <laughs> I know you're both dancers, well, it's actually, you're also an actor. Yeah. It's, it's something that I think that, I mean, text is... I feel like you can write with the body in a way, so that's why I chose dance. But I think that in, in terms of what we've been sort of hedging is, and this is something I've been thinking about as well, is like, could we have a show with dance that almost like was so subtle and so like minimal that people like people really had to like pay attention to the text? Could we write a show that was like, could it still be ha- have dance in it in a way that, you know, that's why I was like, oh, should I choose text just to be like, Contrarian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, our shows have been getting more and more text heavy as we go along, but I think there's just something so profound about movement and it, it can express something so economically that I feel like you, you could take 20 paragraphs to try and explain. Um, there's I mean, just. That's also why dance is before theater. Yeah. Dance theater. Dance right. Theater. Right. Um, all but, hyphenated theaters. Yes. Yeah. This hyphen theater, that hyphen theater. Yes. But we love both. I know. I'm I, sorry, this is why the game was called like choose your favorite child. Okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe slightly easier one. Dark ride, sandbox. Actually, I think this is harder. Can, can we tell you after the show? Actually, <laughs> well, okay. So there's there's different aspects to this, right? There's designing the dark ride and designing the sandbox, and then there's being the one on the dark ride or exploring the sandbox. For so, me, I always, as an audience member, I, I would choose dark ride uh, in a minute just because I think there, for me, there's something so satisfying about being able to surrender control. And in Sleep No More, even being like a cast member and seeing the show so many times, I got so anxious 
no, wanting to be in a certain place to catch a certain moment and being afraid of missing it. There's so much FOMO, I think, associated with that when you are the one who's called upon to make the choice. And when you get to be in a dark ride, you just surrender and you're like, take me, take me on a ride, take me where I'm supposed to go. And so that's why I, I love Then She Fell. Um, and that resonates with me as an audience member. But also it's different for different people. Some people want that agency. And Do you I actually think, I think, I think as a, an audience member, I prefer Sandbox. Um, I think that there's something interesting about that sort of choice that you get to make and, and sort of where you go. Um, I definitely think there's I think there's control issues. I, I do want to like, know where I should be going, but then sometimes I think it's fun to get lost and so sort of like surrender, surrender that um, sort of need to constantly be like following something or like you know being told where to go. Um, I think that designing a dark ride is is really really interesting though. I think that it's it's fun to think about. I guess for me, and this is why I think I chose world building is thinking about some of the spaces right and like the the sort of I don't know if you remembered in Beloved Departed when one audience actually got to witness almost like it was a veil, like you were going like right before you descended into the underworld, but like knowing the structures of a space and the doors and like all the different ways that an audience could actually like flow through oh, a space. No. I, I think I asked you about that, like during the scene where I think Eurydice is already dead and she's got half the audience following her, if you're in the other half, you watch her go by and like Orpheus just misses her by like a split second. Yes. And I was like, how did you time that? And you said it was from the creaking of the wood floors. Yes. You could hear each other. So you could kind of suss out how far, far like far away the, the actors were from each other. Exactly. Yeah, and I would agree. Design in a dark ride, I think is, um, it's just so satisfying. It's very uh, filmic in this idea of being specific about where you're placing the audience members and how they're seeing certain thing and things. It's almost like you're creating a film and you they are the camera. It's more about, I guess, editing, right? Yes, yeah. and that's exactly why. I, and I loved that moment because it was such a challenge for us because we were like, we want them to go down this staircase. They need to go down this staircase. It's the tallest staircase. Right. It has the most steps. And they have to be like ships in the night. Yes. At this exact second. Ex well, they. I mean, it was sort of... They weren't originally ships in the night. We were like we had actually been to the space a couple of times, but then like sort of had mapped out, and we weren't exactly right in our drawings. We thought that there was another way to sneak around, but then it was this like, oh, they're gonna have to pass through here. So like, let's make this a moment, and let's make them miss each other, and like physically, and like how the audience right like goes through, and they're seeing this scene that Orpheus was left over as they descend down to the stairs, and they're like, wait, what happened here? But that idea that like. They were with Eurydice. They missed it because they, like, you know, went on her track. Well, and again, creative problem solving and all these things, like, when the space presents you with limitations, okay, well, how can you lean in even further? And how can that become a pivotal moment? Not just something... I think what we found, especially being a company who does not have a lot of money <laughs> to throw around... Um, we find that it is so much more, I think, satisfying and so much better for the show when you just, when you lean into your limitations and you allow them to help you come up with creative solutions rather than trying to hide them. It's like, we're not sleep no more. We're not even third rail projects. Maybe we're third rail projects like when they first started out. Um, Which and, was a lot of work outside. Yeah. <laughs> 
Like um, in fountains and parks and whatnot. Yes. Definitely. But we don't have that kind of budget to make these perfect, pristine things. The, the mistakes, the, the things that go wrong in shows, and then you're like, wow, that was a really cool moment. Can you do that again to, tomorrow night? But like on purpose this time? Yeah, right. On purpose this time. And, and just letting those kind of those accidents, the, the things that feel like we're coming up short, let them be a part of the world and just say, it, it's okay, this is... And that's actually just like having a good company of artists to work yes. with who are brilliant at what they do and understand us as artists. Yeah, and none of it would be possible without them. They're amazing. I mean, it's, it's interesting to think how each has grown in different ways and changed and um, have been part of shows in, in certain ways and then we've like sort of been like we're gonna find a role for you here and then jump forward and like are with us and then you know sort of on a new journey on a new show and it's been fun to see and to challenge them right and to sort of see them grow as artists and to sort of grow with us but um i mean definitely it's a sort of great company of artists to sort of dip, dip into or to dive in with rather yeah <laughs> all right last question very difficult then she fell or sleep no more. Then she fell. Then she fell. Ah, even though having worked at the McKittrick. Yes. I mean it's I mean it's amazing. And they truly were the groundbreakers. And I and I think both of us consider them the figurehead of the immersive family. So many people have been inspired by them. Um, and I don't think any of this would have been possible, or it certainly would have taken a lot longer without them. Um, but I just I just personally think the aesthetic of Third Rail speaks to me more. The the storytelling through dance, um, both companies have an amazing movement aesthetic. It, it's fantastic. But very different. But very different. Very different. Um, but I, I just I just think then she fell speaks to me personally. I'm also an Alice in Wonderland freak, so. <laughs> I think that um, I I went with my friend Esther, and I just think that the intimacy and the the sort of like. Even like the, the the way that the dark ride was planned, and like we lost each other, and then found each other, and there was this like you know sort of like these beautiful nice moments that were uh, sort of missing right from the the like anonymous the anonymousness of Sleep No More that I kind of enjoyed, and the the sort of I don't know I felt more taken care of, and I hope that in in least at least the shows that we build which is something that you, like Kendra always sort of makes, like drills in and we have to take care of our audience. But I, I mean, it took me a while to see that. I saw that, uh, was it two years ago for the first time? Maybe it was just a year ago for the first time. I like waited, I waited for a long time. Why did you wait so long? <laughs> well, first it was like, I was supposed to take my brother and then like he like never could decide on a date when he was coming far enough oh, in advance and for me to actually- it's always sold out. Exactly. Literally so, always sold out. Exactly, so then I waited and waited and then I think Esther was like, oh, let's let's go to this show. And I was like, yes, we're going. And like we went. And you know, after that decision was made, I was like, I'm glad I finally did this. Well, and it's just from a creator standpoint, it's just a masterclass in amazing timing. Just the way that I mean the amount of time they took to figure out that timing. But it also then it, it goes to show that it is so hard to make this work. This work takes so much time. It takes so much money. And energy. And energy. They were workshopping that show over years. There were so many different iterations. That same thing with Grand Paradise. So many different iterations. Like, started out as roadside attraction. They had a house on Governor's Island to workshop it. And then eventually became Grand Paradise. I mean, they... 
have the time to do that. And, and, and companies who are just starting out, it's really hard. You, you usually only have a couple months and you've got to put up a show and then it only gets to run for a very short amount of time. Uh, it's, it's hard to make this kind of work under those kind of limitations. Um, so on that note, yeah. uh, advice to people who are like, oh, maybe I want to do this. Like, what do you wish you had known hmm. that you know now? Well, first of all, I would definitely say do it. Do it. We want, we want new people in this world. It, there is space for you here. There is room for you here. Come join us. It's fun. We promise. Um, it's but stressful, but fun. It's stressful, but fun. Um, <laughs> I would say fulfilling, but challenging. Yes. yes. Better Very, words. Better words. <laughs> um, I mean, do, do your homework. Um, ask the hard questions. Don't shy away from them. I, I've seen a lot of stuff recently um, that just, it felt like they didn't, they just didn't take the time to ask those questions. And I think you, you do not have to have a crazy budget. You do not have to have all these huge production things. But what you do have to do is you have to figure out what is the world? What are the rules of this world? How do I get the audience into the world? What can the audience do once they're in the world? And how do I get them out again? And if you don't ask those questions, yeah. Right. You know, a, lot, a lot can fall apart if one lot. of those doesn't get answered properly. Yeah. And they're hard and they're challenging and you can run up against walls and you might have to scrap everything you've already done. Or you just climb those walls. Or you climb the walls and you find a way over. But trust me, it is so much more fulfilling and the work comes out so much richer when you do that dirty work. What was the... What was this show that we saw? Um, oh, uh, the workshop. Uh-oh. Memory Home? No, 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 good thing. Good thing. No, it was a really good thing. Yeah, um, because okay. she had done her research and it was, it was such a beautiful build. Yeah, it was um, a new playwright. I think it was the first oh, immersive um, in a, thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, in an incubator. Yeah, yeah, and it was happening at HB Studios. Just a little workshop kind of thing, only two performances. But the playwright, she had, it was actually also about dementia. Um, and she'd come up with just a brilliant, again, simple. Your idea can be simple. Um, conceit. Conceit. It was so, so smart. This idea that the audience members were coming into this home as patients with dementia. And that is why you did not know anything. And, and as an audience member, you did not have to know anything because you'd already forgotten it. And it was, so set they a, were, it was in, a, in a post-apocalyptic world, and yeah. so it was a really interesting entrance because then the world was so different, but like since you had dementia, like you didn't know. It, it and didn't that, really yeah. matter, right? Because right, Because the thing exactly. that turns people off is feeling stupid. Right, yeah. exactly. So you never so, felt like you, you didn't know what was going on yes. because you weren't supposed to. Super, super simple, really, really smart. Um, it was interesting. We, all, we also got to have a talk back with her, and, and we talked to her sort of about these things and, and complimented her on that. And yes. then we were like, well, if you just did these like little things in the onboarding, that could get your audience primed and like this. We were so I – th- I think we love to nerd out on the ways – the good things that are happening in shows and then also the things that you can do to make shows better. We love to like go see stuff and figure out, wow, 
this is, they did this so well. And oh, if they had just done this, it would have made everything right. so much like clearer. A tiny little tweak. Yes, yeah. could have, one, one word, word right? One yeah. word could have changed it. I, I don't know. For me, I think advice, advice for, for creators or people who are creating is that really, like, I mean, obviously do your research. I think that's why I love owning the, the sort of like book article from the like Slack channels, like seeing what people are adding and like requesting to add and like, you know, knowing what like what literature is out there and right. trying so to So like, for, for people who don't know, we were crowdsourcing immersive books, but not necessarily in immersive. There was like game stuff in there and theme park yes. and psychology. Yes. And Jordan was like, I'm going to turn this into a Google Doc because it's going to get lost on Slack. Yes. So Jordan owns that document for no And it's so nice to see what people are contributing and like oh add this and then I go and I like look and then I go down a rabbit hole but like doing that research and um I mean and looking in those other genres outside of theater like well right exactly I I think that's I mean my classical training isn't in theater but because I was a nerd and like into game design and even like understanding how to sell a product to someone right like in the advertising world it's like knowing the journey like it takes to get from like store like you know home to store and like what they're seeing on their way is like part of telling a story and making sure like oh if they encounter this ad here like what's it going to make you know influence them to buy there but like thinking about that craft and like how that is told is so interesting to me which um, doing your research is definitely something that needs to be done. I also would encourage new creators to play and get messy and not sort of stick. I mean, I know it's so fun to hide things in the dark, but there's yeah. so much richness in like sort of leaning in either into a daytime show or into an outside show and like not necessarily thinking that everything needs to happen under the guise of a you know. Or like in this film noir aesthetic, right. like branch out into comedy, you know, branch out into all these different things. Immersive theater can doesn't have to just be about like sexy, slinky, underworld kind of stuff. I feel like that's, we start to kind of just drift that way because that's what we've seen. And people have been very su- successful and they're amazing shows using that kind of stuff. But, but try something but new. But what else right. can it's we do? It's not the only thing that exactly. can be successful. Exactly. And then I think the sort of like underbelly of the world, right? Like those sort of underground shows or the, the apocalyptic shows, like they're fun and they're interesting and they're like, you know, they're about escapism. Um, but I think that trying to invent something new is like hard and tough, but it's also fun and like there are tons of ideas out there. And it's, I mean, ultimate, it's ultimately going to be more rewarding. Yes. Choose something that's true to you, that's specific, that that you find interesting, and there are going to be people out there who find that interesting too. And then my last piece of advice is find a good, good partner yeah. who gets you. Um, there are times you when can't like do this alone. You really can't. I mean, find two people if you can. Yes, I, I definitely because you know I, I call Kendra my art wife and in public and to all of my friends, most of them know her as such because and it's like capital A art wife. Yes, capital A art wife for sure. I mean, we share a bank account, so yeah. I mean that makes wow. us kind of yeah. like real. It feels like, like there's some legal status here. Yeah, right? exactly. Like if I could actually make a you know her give her we've, status. We've made ten children. The eleventh is on. Away. <laughs> Due in late August. Yeah. Due in late August, <laughs> late but, August. But find a partner that you can work well with and that gets you and who understands the way you work, or find several partners who get the way that you work and who want to make the work you want to make, um, and who challenges you to think differently about the worlds that you're bu- building, and also who like, can help you solve those problems. Because sometimes
sometimes what seems like a huge problem to you is like, oh, just, just I don't know, yeah. put a rope around someone's neck or like, you know, give, give rope, them... Rope around someone's neck in a good way. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's that's, very it, loose. It's a very, it was a very loose... It was more loose, like a necklace. This yeah. is definitely more like a necklace. Um, thanks for that clarification. <laughs> and uh, I think okay. I need some... All right. Uh, well, um, on that note, uh, thank you so much, Jordan. And thank you so much, Kendra. Um, anything else you guys want to say? Yeah, I think the last thing we'll leave you with, um, and, and it's something that's a little hard for us to do because we don't, we don't like doing this, but um, we do need a little bit of help to, to get our next project over the finish line. Um, we've been struggling. I, that's why we loved Ricky and, and Sarah's last episode, just talking about the business aspect of this. And this is something that we still very much struggle with is the business aspect and how do you get the money to make these shows? Like we talked about earlier, it's very expensive to do it. Um, we looked for outside funding this time. Both Jordan and I have saved a lot of our personal money uh, to make this show happen, uh, but we were unfortunately unsuccessful in finding financial partners to help us back this project. And so we're we're launching a last-minute Kickstarter. Um, it is not the full budget. It's just sort of a last-minute little amount that we need to just push us over the finish line. Um, we'll be launching that hopefully... Uh, within the week? Yeah, within the week. Uh, it's going to run for a very short amount of time. Uh, but if you like immersive theater, if you've come to see our work, uh, if you're our friends or related to us, Please um, help. Please, please help because we believe in this project so much. It, it's so personal and we think it's important. And uh, it will happen no matter what, but we really could use just a, a little bit of support to help make it help make it as good as we know that it can be. And a little a little less stressful for us. A little us. less stressful. A little please. less challenging. I, I wish us. you all could see Kendra's face right yeah. now. It's it is something else. It is it's definitely it's a difficult struggle, right, to sort of think about that business side. But yes, it's something that right now we've sort of encountered as a, a problematic part is that we thought we were going to have a partner um, to help us sort of like tell this story, but um, we we unfortunately do not. And so that's that's where you know you guys can come in, and obviously we have a, you know some nice nice rewards, but we'll, we will uh, we'll like take it online. All right, and your website is uh, www.linkeddancetheater.com. The Kickstarter will be on that. Uh, all the information for Remembrance will be on there. Uh, we should be launching tickets at the end of this month. Um, Come join us on Governor's Island. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be an interesting fall. All right. Well, um, thank you again, Kendra. Thank you again, Jordan. Thank you, and have fun out in California. <laughs> We're gonna thank miss you. you. All right. <laughs> Once again, I want to thank Jordan Kapechka and Kendra Slack of Link Dance Theater for being the guests on the show and for Catherine for doing the hosting duties back east. She'll be here in L.A. soon enough. Um, all right. We did uh, we did a little social media rant at the top. 
Um, there hasn't been an irregular this week because uh, I was uh, <laughs> Wednesday. I was packing up the old cubicle uh, for the old day job uh, because um, the NPR West is expanding and uh, they they need the space. So uh, that meant no time for me to just go on weird rants for you all. I'm still settling into this new life. Um, it's it's really it's it's weird. Um, I'm, I'm beyond not fully adjusted yet. And there've been so many shifts. Um, and, uh, I had this grand dream that like when I left the day job, that suddenly it would be like, boom, 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 boom. And in, instead it's been, uh, trip over self and fall and <laughs> pick self back up again and crawl forward. Um, but we are starting to find, uh, the rhythm in things. And I'm actually really enjoying you know, having my hands dirty in the newswire and in everything immersive this week. And uh, to get back to that sense where like patterns start to emerge and I start to like see things um, in the ether. Um, something that I should have mentioned at the top of the show. So congratulations if you're sticking around here is there are grants coming around. Uh, we just put an announcement up uh, from the folks at Virtual Beings Summit, uh, which are the folks out of Fable Studio who made Wolves in the Walls, etc. Uh, Edward Sachi uh, laid out uh, Virtual Beings grants. The uh, grant applications are due in the middle of September, September 17th, if my memory is serving correctly. And they're going to be announcing in October. Um, check out on the site the announcement because this is, um, this is not insignificant. Um, this is a, a big deal. And uh, honestly, I want to make a lot of noise around it. There's other things that are going off. Um, let's see. Uh, actually, that might be under embargo. So I got to double check on something. Uh, but to tell you something, maybe I'll tell you next time uh, or I'll, I'll drop in a regular uh, about it. Uh, sorry. It involves like involves like a retail company and whatnot. I was at a press release. Um, and uh, honestly, I sometimes the press releases are so dense and I'm like looking at them on my phone and I'm like, all, uh, where's the embargo date? I'm not seeing one. And then, uh, but sometimes they get buried and I just want to make sure I don't mess up. Maybe I'll look that up real fast while we're talking still. Um, there's, there's, uh, there's, there's like a, a, a mutated shift going on. It feels like so, uh, we know there have been some closures. Um, we also know that uh, marketing has, you know, is continuing its expansion. There's a lot of shift into like retail. Uh, I just saw Winston Fisher of Fisher Brothers in Area 15. He's circulating an interview um, of himself uh, talking about um, immersive coming to retail. Um, it reminds me a little bit of, <laughs> I'm not trying to just be negative for negative sake here. It reminds me a bit of um, it's been 20 years since Metreon opened in San Francisco and that Metreon ultimately kind of collapsed and turned into City Target. Um, but when it first showed up, it had like a where the wild things are attraction and uh, network linked battle tech type games and just all sorts of stuff going on in the movie theater and whatnot. And it was all Sonyized um, and it, it it was a reinvention of retail and it, it just did not do what they thought it was going to do. Um, I want to talk about Metreon uh, right now because aside from the fact that it's been 20 years since it opened and it did not come to full fruition uh, and, and ultimately just turned into another mall. But one of the reasons why it did that is that the stuff that was in it was not interesting, right? Like, 
um, a theme park type attraction or like a, a walkthrough attraction of where the wild things are with audio animatronic creatures. I'm going to, I'm going to cop to something like, I don't think maybe on opening day I went through and I don't really remember it. Okay. And then like, I never felt compelled to go. I didn't know anyone who wanted to go. Um, where the wild things are is uh, a wonderful book. It was a meh indie film when they finally got around to making an indie film of it. Um, the Metreon also had like dedicated stores to like PlayStation. I was never a PlayStation guy, still not. Uh, that seemed to do okay, but ultimately kind of collapsed out. Um, and it, it just, it, it had things in it that it didn't quite know who it was serving or, or why. You know, uh, the movie theater was good, right? Back when we loved movie theaters. We still love some movie theaters, but uh, it was just better seats and, you know, better sound. It was pre the the, the era of the draft house. Um, so it wasn't necessarily uh, super innovative in terms of what they were proposing. It was just more expensive. Um, I want to put a, 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 a note out in, in the universe as we look at things that are succeeding and failing. Um, and, and as you're developing your own projects, particularly when you're developing your own like projects of scale, right? Whether it's these uh, immersive retail experiences, micro theme parks, whatever. Um, who are you serving? Right? What connection are you trying to make? What space are you making for people? Okay. Um, oftentimes, it's like, what value are you providing? There's... You got to have rock solid answers to that before we even get to the secret sauce, right? Before we get to the magic and the wonder. The exciting things about installations like Meow Wolf or immersive theater, uh, immersive um, theme park expansions, like what they're doing with Star Wars or what they're going to do with the Marvel stuff, is the the fidelity that is created through attention to detail is you know creates this kind of mystic resonance that activates a sense of presence um it, it can fade that presence sense can fade if there isn't enough to sustain people being in that space right you know if there's if there isn't a reason to um and so at the end of the day you have to be answering some fundamentals right you know, it can't just be that people are going to be entertained. We have endless number of, of entertainment options as a society. We have too much, right? You know this, you sit in front of your Netflix queue and try and figure out what to watch. And then you give up because there's too many things to watch. When I'm done with a day, whether I've successfully exhausted myself and really put in the amount of work or I've just gotten fed up and I can't deal with it anymore and I flop down on the bed, uh, I've got the Apple TV, which is full of things. It's got the Netflix, it's got the HBO, it's got the Hulu. I've got my iPad, which is full of graphic novels thanks to my library card and Hoopla, which is amazing, by the way, if you don't know about it. I've got all the books that I haven't finished reading. I just endless to the point of paralysis and then i just look at twitter which is a nightmare in and of itself right um and youtube 
videos, just item for item and trailers and just like, (laughs) what the power that we have as a discipline is we can create space, a place to breathe, a place to be. I, um, I went to bar of dreams, Los Angeles last night. Uh, hello boys. Uh, and, uh, I'll be inviting you on the show soon. I didn't say that last night, but I was definitely thinking it. Um, so if you're listening, hit me up. Also, I'll be emailing you. Um, they created that space to play even better, uh, in the dreams that we experienced in the show last night. Um, we were, we were given such clear roles, clear spaces, clear things to do. And then put our own spin on it, um, which is which is great. Um, as someone who's done a lot of improv, you know it's wonderful when you're endowed with a, a clear character because then you just get to riff, um, and that's there's that's something special, and that's a real specific way of approaching this work. Um, we're gonna talk in the future. Um, and, and I gotta find some time to just write. Um, there's, there's some trends going on in terms of the creative that, uh, I'm, I'm happy to see some green shoots, but I'm also seeing some stuff get kind of calcified. Um, I spend a lot of time, you know, I spend a lot of time feeling like our presence is inessential in the work. Um, and, and when I'm feeling like our presence is inessential, I'm feeling like that's not the work, right? If you're going to be doing, if you're going to be doing this work, if you're going to be building a a retail space, if you're going to be making an immersive theater piece, um, the nice thing is escape rooms kind of have this baked in. This is a good thing to take from escape rooms. The people who are there, who are doing they're essential. It doesn't work without them. Right? The center of gravity has to be between the audience and the piece. Right? When you've got a proscenium piece of theater, uh, the center of gravity is on the stage. The center of gravity is with the cast. When you've got an immersive piece, the center of gravity is between the cast and the audience, the participants. This particularly scales uh, when we're talking about, um, you know, scope of show, right? So think about a sleep no more. The center of gravity in a sleep no more is is mostly with the cast, uh, but it's also a matter of you know there's X number of cast members and there's ten X number of audience members, right? It's, it's kind of more in that traditional theater sense of the eyes really need to be on the performers because there's so many audience members and it's okay then because of the way that the agency is, is given to the people. Uh, but as we scale down, as we get more intimate, that center of gravity needs to move towards the audience. And ideally in a one-on-one situation, the balance is between plenty of people put the balance too far. I feel like they put the balance into the participants. Um, and that, that there, that's great for LARP. Um, 
and indeed it should be like uh, when the story is being generated out by the participants themselves and that's fine and that's good and that's you know part of our purview here but I want to suggest to everyone in all the disciplines that maybe the ideal is that that center of gravity is between the thing and the people experiencing the thing, right? There, there's a, there's a classic Noah rant. All right. More on center of gravity, more on all that in the not too distant future. Uh, this was a long one. So I'm looking at the clock here. You guys have a almost a, almost two hours worth of podcast. Hope it, uh, hope it was good for you. <laughs> Let's do the credits. Um, oh, second week in a row where, uh, I didn't do the sustaining backers at the top of the show. Mm-mm, I'm in trouble. Gonna bad, bad, bad Noah. Standing backers of No Persinium are Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hanson, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, and Samuel Mustry. The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. You can find everything we do at nopersinium.com, our Patreon. And indeed, because it's the end of the month, now's the time to drop some money. Patreon.com slash nopersinium. I'm Noah Nelson. Until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>